Good evening. One more time. Good evening. It's been a joy to be with you this week. Thank you so much for the invitation to come to be a part of this meeting. Thank you so much for your kindness, your hospitality, your, your thoughtfulness toward me this week. I really, truly do appreciate it. What Mike said about some of the things going on at my home back in Katy are true. Uh, my wife is a wonderful woman. She puts up with me, number Amen. one. Amen. Cherie puts up with Mike. Amen. But not only that, but uh, she, is, she has handled some of the things that have happened this week by um, just no fault of, of anybody's. Uh, she's handled them really, really well, and I'm very appreciative. But um, I'm looking forward to being there and being able to, to go through all the events of the week with her because it's been, it's been kind of trying. Thank you so much for your prayers, and thank you so much for allowing me to come and to be a part of this meeting. I've been very impressed with the congregation here. I've been very impressed by your faith, by your, by your desire to serve the Lord. I'm impressed by the men who preach here. Brother Mike is a dear friend, as I've mentioned. We've known each other for years. I, I, I am in tremendous debt to him for a, a number of, of reasons. And it's been a joy for me to be with him and with Cherie and Karen and David this week a little bit. Also with Adam. He's a man who genuinely loves you and loves the Lord, and we appreciate so much, and I know you do, a man who has that kind of character and that kind of ability. My prayers will be with you as a congregation going forward, and I hope our paths are able to cross again one of these days. If you ever come down toward the Houston area, come see us in Katy. There are a lot of ties between Westside and Katy, by the way. Uh, Gary and Cindy Brown, recent members here, they've, they've moved to Katy and they've placed membership with us. And we love and appreciate them very much. And some of you who've been here for a while may remember Randy and Sandy Jones. Uh, they, they worship with us at Katy as well. Randy's one of our deacons. Um, Katie McCoy's brother, Chip Ray, is, uh, is one of our, uh, uh, our members as well. And so lots of ties. And Mike has a long-standing relationship with the church at Katy as well, having done a number of meetings there over the years. Lots of ties, and it's a small world in the Lord's church. So please, come see us when you get to, get to Katie one day. If you would, let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being the invitation that you've extended to us to come and to be his disciples. We ask, O oh God, that you might help us to follow him more fully. We ask that our hearts might be attuned to you and that we might see the world from your perspective each day that we live. We ask, Father, that you'll help us to see difficult burdens and challenges that, that you want us to take up. Help us, Father, by your grace and by your strength to, to do your will in this world. Thank you so much for the church here at Westside. Thank you for the church at Katy. Thank you, Father, for faithful brethren all over the world. Help us to hold up one another's hands, to encourage each other. And, Father, we all look forward to the day when your son returns and when we can be home with you in glory. Father, we pray that you'll bless our study this evening as we think about the joy of being your disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The story is told that a few years ago, gospel preacher Marshall Keeble, some of you may recognize that name, Brother Keeble had a tremendous sense of humor. He was visiting a congregation in West Texas, and the preacher there started showing him around the classrooms in the church building. That's what, that's what Brother Keeble wanted to see. He didn't want to see the auditorium, just the classrooms. He went into a kindergarten class, Brother Keeble did, and he saw a bulletin board. And there were a number of bees on the bulletin board, like honeybees. And on each one of the bees, there was a little inscription. Be kind. Be thoughtful. Be happy. 
Be joyful. And Brother Keeble looked at that bulletin board and with his great sense of humor said, I believe some of our brethren need to be stung by some of these bees. And the point that he made is a good one. There is to be joy in the hearts and the lives of disciples of Jesus Christ. All this week we've been talking about living a crucified life. Take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me, Jesus says. And it's a challenge and it talks about it, it it brings to our minds the, the, the burdens that sometimes come with being a disciple of Jesus. But at the very same time, we need to remember that a byproduct of following Jesus is that we will have real and lasting joy. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, joy. The Bible says in John chapter 15 and verse 11, that before Jesus went to the cross, and in the very shadow of the cross, he uttered these words, John 15, 11, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Something that you and I may need to think about. If there's no joy in my life as a disciple, if I don't rejoice, and especially if I don't rejoice over the things that cause God to rejoice, if I don't do those things, that is a sure indicator that God is not really having his way in my heart and mind. If there's never any joy, if there's never any peace, if the fruit of the Spirit is not evident in my life in any way, in any shape, form, or form, that may well indicate that I'm not following Jesus in the way that Scripture indicates I ought to follow him. Real joy. Fullness of joy, John 15, 11. John the Apostle would later write in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, I write these things to you that you may have fullness of joy, that your joy may be full. God's people are to be a people of joy. Are you willing as a disciple of Jesus to follow him so closely that you'll suffer for the same reasons that Jesus suffered? And a second question is this, am I willing to follow him so closely that I'll rejoice for the same reasons that cause him to rejoice? In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, The scripture tells us that we're to run the race that is set before us with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. What that passage indicates is that there can be joy even in the presence of a cross. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured it, despising the shame. You and I need to think about the joy of discipleship. When I was a kid, we used to sing in Bible class, Isn't it grand to be a Christian? I don't know if they sing that song anymore. Isn't it grand to be a Christian? Isn't it grand? And I would sit there and I would think as a young boy, You know, I'm not sure why it's grand to be a Christian. I'm not really sure what it is that makes being a... I'll sing the song and I I appreciate the words and I kind of understand, but... I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't old enough to obey the gospel at that point in my life. But I remember the words to the song. And a question I have for you tonight is this. If I were to ask you, what's so grand, what's so joyful about being a Christian, what would you say? What would your response be? 
what I'd like for us to do with our study tonight is this. Very simple. I'd like to share with you about eight reasons why Christians ought to rejoice. The joys that are experienced by those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Eight reasons why Christians ought to rejoice no matter what. If I'm a disciple, a follower of Jesus, these are reasons that I can take and I can put in my heart and I can put in my mind and no matter where I am, I can find a reason to rejoice. To rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4 verse 4. Reason number one, why Christians ought to rejoice. Because we know as Christians the joy of forgiveness. Because as Christians, as God's people, we know the joy of forgiveness. Before we became Christians, before we obeyed the gospel, the scripture accuses us of being enemies of God, Romans chapter 5 verse 10. It accuses us of being lost in sin, Luke chapter 19 verse 10. It accuses us of being dead in our sins and our trespasses before we became Christians. And we were guilty before God. And the scripture says that when we contact the saving blood of Jesus Christ, that our sins are remitted. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Remission. We use that word, don't we? When somebody has cancer, terrible news for someone to hear. And when somebody's enduring that, it's a difficult diagnosis. But what joy comes when a patient goes to the doctor and the doctor is able to say, the disease is in remission. No evidence that it was ever present. Brothers and sisters and friends, we ought to think more as Christians about how our lives used to be, about how sinful we have been, and we ought to think more about the sins that God has forgiven. We ought to thank God every day for the joy of forgiveness. The Bible says that when we are forgiven, God takes our sins, as it were, and casts them into the depths of the sea. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. All your sins have been hurled into the depths of the sea, not coming back. In Psalm 103, verse 12, the Bible says, So far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've removed your sins from you. One problem that a lot of Christians have is this. We don't trust God to forgive us. It's really an act of faith when you stop and think about it. Receiving God's forgiveness, it means that I'm trusting him to do what he says he's going to do. He says in his word he'll forgive me. He says my sins and my iniquities will, he will remember no more. He says those things. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12. He makes those promises that the blood of Jesus gives us redemption. It purchases us back from sin. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. God tells us that that's the case. And we have a hard time as human beings sometimes because we refuse to believe what God says is true. We miss out on the joy of Christianity oftentimes because we refuse to accept that God has forgiven us the joy of forgiveness. The Bible speaks about how sins are cleansed, made white as snow, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. When we think about our lives, we can remember, God has redeemed me. He has saved me. 
He has forgiven me. What joy comes from those kinds of thoughts. The joy of being a disciple, number two. What are some reasons why disciples ought to rejoice always? Because disciples know, secondly, the joy of loving and knowing God. Loving and knowing God. There are some people that live in this world that I suspect I'll never get to know. I will never be able to sit down and have a conversation with them. I'll never be able to have a relationship with them. Maybe a powerful ruler somewhere. I'm not going to be able to have access to them. But God says, I want to know you. And I want you to know me. And there is joy in that relationship. And listen to me carefully. Here's why there's joy in that relationship. Because there is no greater gift that you could ever receive than God himself. There is nothing better than God. He is amazing. He is wonderful in all of his respects, all of his attributes. And he wants a relationship with you and me. And there is joy in knowing him and knowing who he is and knowing that he loves us and cares about us. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Jeremiah writes, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his strength. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let he who glories rejoices rejoice in this, that he knows and understands me, says the Lord. Knowing God, having a relationship with him, loving him, there is joy to be found. Think about this. Our worship is to be an expression of joy, is it not? When we come before him and we sing praises to his name, isn't it to be an expression of the joy that's in our hearts because of who he is and all that he is? Jesus says in John 4 verse 24, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we stop and think about what it means to rejoice in the Lord, part of that has to do with the way that we worship, the spirit that we bring. You know, as a husband... When I bring a gift to my wife, I shouldn't bring the gift and say, well, here you are, honey. This is my responsibility as a husband, and that's the only reason I'm giving this to you. And sometimes we bring our praises to God like that. Well, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what the Bible tells me I have to do. And so here you go, God. But rather, there is joy to be found in genuine praise, in genuine knowledge, in a genuine relationship with God. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, and notice what Peter writes. He's speaking about Christ specifically in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, but listen to what he says. The joy of knowing and loving God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter writes about Jesus. Peter had seen Jesus face to face, had spent time with him. Peter knew Jesus, but he's writing to people that didn't see Jesus face to face. And in 1 Peter 1 verse 8, he says this, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's a passage worth pondering. We can know Jesus Christ, have a relationship with him, and there is inexpressible joy in that kind of life and that kind of knowledge. What a Savior, what a God we serve. Joy number three. 
as you think about discipleship, and as you think about the joy of following Jesus Christ, disciples have the joy of witnessing the gospel's power. The joy of witnessing the gospel's power. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The Apostle Paul said that the gospel of Jesus is powerful. The message that brings salvation, the message that saves our souls, it's powerful. And there is joy to be found in seeing the gospel's power. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Notice what Paul writes to his brethren. By the way, Philippians is a book that deals largely with the subject of joy. And in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes this in verses 4 and 5. He says, I thank my God on every remembrance of you, Philippians 1 verse 3, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy because of your fellowship, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. What did Paul rejoice over? Not only had his brethren obeyed the gospel, but they were promoting the gospel, and they wanted to see the gospel work in other people's lives as well. They wanted to see the joy that comes from seeing the power of the gospel. I've been studying with a man back in Katy for about five months. We started studying together back in May. And we've talked about all kinds of Bible subjects. We've discussed all kinds of things relating to conversion and becoming a Christian. And it's been a long process studying with this man. And I honestly, I wasn't sure if this man, he comes from a very, very different religious background. He actually comes out of a, of a cult type atmosphere. And I wasn't sure if this man was ever going to decide that he needed to obey the gospel. Friday, two weeks ago, I got a text on my phone from this man. Brother John, I want to be baptized ASAP. And 25 minutes later, both of us were at the church building in the baptistry. And I want to tell you something. That man has a joy that is amazing and wonderful to watch. And it is a thrilling thing to see somebody who was outside of Christ to come to know him and to have a relationship with him. Christians know a special kind of joy. The world looks at somebody being baptized and says, if they say anything, well, good for you. But Christians, disciples, look at someone obeying the gospel and they say, this is wonderful. This is thrilling. And Jesus says in Luke 15, even the angels in heaven rejoice when one who is a sinner repents. The angels sing, heaven rejoices, And New Testament Christians know the joy of seeing the gospel's power. How we need as Christians to stop and consider that it's the implanted word that saves souls. James chapter 1 verse 21. We rejoice when we see the gospel's power at work. By the way, the Ethiopian nobleman, the one who was on the road and stopped and was baptized because he had heard the gospel, Scripture says in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, that he went on his way doing what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing, absolutely. Rejoicing to see the gospel's power. Next, number four. Christians, disciples of Jesus, can rejoice always because of the privilege of prayer and the presence of providence. 
because of the privilege of prayer and the presence of God's providence. Christians can rejoice always. God says, bring your burdens to me. Bring your cares to me. Bring your sins to me, and I will cleanse them. God says, I want to hear from you. I want a relationship with you. Relationships, brothers and sisters, are built on communication. God communicates to us through his word. We communicate with God through prayer. Pray without ceasing. Pray always. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, since you're in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes this, Be anxious in nothing, Philippians 4, 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. And look at the promise in verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I like what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 as well. Peter says, Cast all your cares upon him, He cares for you. You know, sometimes we lack joy as Christians. We don't have the joy that God intends for us because we're not listening to and obeying what the scriptures say on this matter. Casting all your cares upon him. We have in our minds the idea that, you know, there's some cares and there's some burdens that I can handle. I'm not going to pray about these. I'm not going to give these to God. I'm not going to cast these upon him. Christians have the blessing and the joy of prayer, And the presence of God's providence. God says, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. It's a prayer, it's a a promise of providence in our lives. That God cares about us. That he thinks about us. A lot of people are control freaks. What do you mean by that? I mean, people want to control the past. If I can't control the past, I'm going to control what people know about my past. Or maybe we want to control the future. I want to control what's going to happen one day. Or maybe I want to control other people. Why won't they make the right decision? Why won't they do what I want them to do? Or maybe we want to just control our circumstances. And when we stop and really admit it, we can't control any of those things. Prayer. Providence. A genuine trust in our God. It's a source of joy in a disciple's life. Because even though we may not be in control of a lot of things in our lives. We serve a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Sources of joy for a New Testament Christian. Number five, the joy of fellowship in Christ. The joy of fellowship in Christ. When I become a Christian, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that the people who obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost, they were added to the church. They were added to the group that belongs to Jesus Christ. And the Bible goes on to say in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 that what these people did was they continued steadfastly in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in the apostles' doctrine and in prayers, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they were always with one another because they recognized we belong to each other. We are family in Christ. We are now the people of God. We are now saved and bought by the blood of Jesus. The blood runs between all of us who have obeyed the gospel. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, open your Bibles there if you would. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 
John writes about fellowship, and that's his point. He's talking about who is and who is not in fellowship with God and with the apostles as he opens up the letter. And he says in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1, If, conditional, we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Peter would write about brethren who are of like precious faith. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. We are to do good to all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. God says, when you obey the gospel and become a disciple of Jesus, you are added to a community, a group of believers that belongs to him. And brethren, there's rich fellowship to be found there. We ought to love one another. We ought to care for one another. We ought to show hospitality to one another because there is joy to be found in serving one another through love. Galatians 5 verse 13. Disciples are added to a brand new family. You know, sometimes our families are pretty disappointing. If we really stop and admit it, there are a lot of things that we wish were different in our physical families. We wish there were a lot of things that, that people would have done differently or that people do differently. But God says, come to me. Be a disciple of Jesus. I'll give you a family. A family that lasts forever. And that's what Christians are. It's a rich and a wonderful and a beautiful fellowship to be a New Testament Christian. And there is to be joy derived from that. That doesn't mean we don't irritate each other as Christians sometimes. It doesn't mean we don't disagree with each other at times. But through all those things... The blood of Jesus and the love that we are to have for one another, those things sustain us because Jesus has purchased us a rich fellowship, a source of joy. Number six, why can a Christian rejoice no matter what? What are some things that as a disciple I find to rejoice in and I can see? I can rejoice because of God's presence in my life. God's presence in my life. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. Let your conduct, Hebrews 13, 5, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise that God makes to us. I'm a preacher, obviously. One of the things preachers do characteristically is we go and we visit hospitals. And we go and we try to visit people that are, that are sick and that are suffering. And if there's a death in the family, we try to go and to try to offer words of comfort or, or things like that. When I was younger, I used to think, okay, when I go to these situations, I really have to know what to say. I have to have the right words, and, and I tried, and often like Peter, the apostle, I'd stick my foot in my mouth. I'd be trying to help, but I'd say something that was just as unhelpful as it could be. I still do that sometimes. As I got older, and I started to study God's word more, one of the things that really occurred to me is that just a person's very presence can be a blessing, can be a gift. Just showing up. Think about it. 
When someone passes away and we have a funeral, people come and they attend the funeral. Part of the reason why we attend the funeral is because we believe, somewhere deep down inside we believe, that our presence can be a gift, can be a blessing. Just being there. Don't even have to say anything. Job's friends did their best work when you read the book of Job when they came and they sat with Job for seven days and didn't say anything. It wasn't until they opened their mouths that they started adding more affliction to Job, right? If just my presence can be a blessing, can be a gift to somebody, and I hope that it is to you, if just my presence can do that, think about what it means when God says in Hebrews 13 verse 5, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, that's how God motivated people in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, when Moses was reluctant to serve God, God said, Moses, I will be with you. You can go and talk to Pharaoh. You can stand before him and say, let my people go. I'll be with you. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, after Moses died, you know what God said to Joshua? He said, Joshua, I will be with you. When God went to see Gideon in, in Judges chapter 6 and verse 16, you know what he said to Gideon who was going to have to go and deliver Israel from the Midianites? Gideon, Judges 6, 16, I will be with you. When Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and he tells his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, what does he say? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20. God doesn't always tell us where we're going. He doesn't always tell us what's going to happen in advance. He doesn't always tell us what the circumstances or obstacles we're going to face are, but he says this, I will be with you. And brothers and sisters and friends, there's a song in our songbook, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. There's another song in our songbook, anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. I love those kinds of songs because they have to do with the gift of God's presence. And no matter where you go on this planet and no matter what you experience as a Christian, you can know that God is present, that he cares, that he sees, that he knows, that he understands the gift of presence. Number seven. When I become a Christian and I start to follow Jesus, something else interesting happens. Because of my changed perspective, the things we talked about last night, I can start to know the joy of contentment. The joy of contentment. Look in your Bibles at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. The joy of contentment. Paul writes to Timothy about money and things. And there are some people that are preaching all kinds of false ideas. And they're doing it because they're making money. And they want more money coming their way. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. I read a definition of contentment that really stuck with me one time. The author said this, that contentment is being satisfied if God never gave me any other blessing than what he's already given. God has blessed us with so much in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is found in him, Ephesians 1 verse 3. And contentment is being able to say, God doesn't ever have to give me any other blessing. I'm content with what he's given me in Christ. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13, starts talking to the Philippian congregation about being content. He says, I know how to be abased, do without. I know how to abound. I've learned whatever state I'm in to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, verse 13. There is joy to be found in not being too attached to things and not being too attached to the outward trappings of this world. The joy of contentment, of resting in Christ. I can even be content with regard to people. All of us tend to compare ourselves with others, don't we? We tend to look at other people. We tend to see how we measure up, how we stack up. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, When we compare ourselves by others, we are not wise. And so, if I'm going to compare myself to anyone as a Christian, I ought to compare myself to my master because I'm his disciple. I ought to compare myself to Jesus Christ. And none of us measures up to him. I can know contentment with things, with money, with people, because of my relationship with God. And I'll tell you, if you've never experienced that kind of contentment, I'm telling you, there is joy to be found because of our relationship with Jesus and the promises of his precious word. Number eight, when we think about the joy of discipleship, the joy of serving, the joy of serving, Jesus says, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 and look at verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says this. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came as a servant, Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. He came not to be served by us, but to serve us, to give his life for us. Have you ever gone to visit somebody who's ill, maybe in the hospital, or maybe you've gone to a nursing home to visit somebody who's a patient there? And maybe you were feeling a little bit down yourself, and you're just kind of at the end of your rope, and you go and you try to at least cheer somebody else up. Have you ever noticed the effect that it has? You give yourself in service to somebody else. You share with them the gift of your presence and your love toward them. You share with them the kindness that Christ would have. Jesus said, if you do these things to the least of these, my brethren, you do them to me. Matthew chapter 25. But you go to a place like that and you try to help somebody. And what happens? What happens to us? You leave there feeling encouraged and edified and joyful yourself. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because there's joy to be found in serving others. That's why. One time I read a statement in a book that, again, stuck with me, and the statement went like this. The only people who have ever learned how to truly be happy are those who have sought and discovered how to serve. The only people who have ever found how to truly be happy are those who have sought and discovered how to serve out of love, out of compassion, out of concern for those who are hurting. When I follow Jesus Christ, he shows me what it means to be a servant. And he shows me the joy and the richness that comes from a life given to service. 
Jesus washed feet, and in John 13, verses 14 and 15, he said, I have left you an example that you should do as I have done to you, the joy of serving. My pleasure, so they say at Chick-fil-A, right? We need as Christians to have that kind of outlook on service. I bring these things to your attention tonight for your encouragement because maybe you've been considering do I really want to be a disciple of Jesus? Maybe you've been asking the question, you know, this world is really difficult and this world is really tough and you're a Christian yourself. Where is joy to be found? There is genuine, real, and lasting joy to be found in following and serving and knowing Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul could say with all of his heart, I want to know him I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3, verses 10 and following. Maybe you need to respond to the gospel tonight because you want to become a disciple. You want to follow Jesus. Believe the gospel of Jesus. We're lost without him. And only through his blood can we be saved. Only through the work that he accomplished for us at the cross can we ever have hope of redemption. Repent of your sin. Turn away from the life that displeases, dishonors God. That's the first thing Peter told the people to do that believed on Jesus in Acts 2.38. Repent. All of you repent. Change your mind and change your life. Be baptized in, in water for the remission of your sins, he went on to say. We need as Christians, we need as human beings to obey the commandments of our Lord. And we need to seek the joy that comes from discipleship. If you are ready to obey the gospel this evening, if we can help you with that, or if you need to respond and you want to ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours at this time. While together we stand and while we sing.